and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett, Editorial Director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show. Hope you're all having a great summer, but there's still plenty going on. And I'm here with my co-host, Frank Washkirk, Executive Editor of uh, PR Week. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Having a good week? Having yeah. a good summer? Yeah, good weekend, good summer. Thank you. Yeah, and we'll chat about some sport later, the, the Women's World Cup in full flow. And uh, we have a fantastic guest this week. It's Shankar Narayanan, who's the CEO of Real Chemistry. Shankar, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Frank. Always a pleasure. Yeah, lots to get into. We'll chat to Shankar and then we'll talk about a few news stories. Dave Sampson, he's retired from Edelman or he is retiring um, we've got a real chemistry story. They've hired Steve Beam from Edelman to lead a new crisis corporate reputation practice over there. We'll talk about how the Supreme Court's decision on affirmative action is impacting PR firms. We'll get into AI, a couple more agency offerings there, trends from big brand corporate Q2 revenues, and we'll finish on the Women's Soccer World Cup, which is in full swing. But Shankar, let's talk to you first. You've been in the role, uh, CEO role, 18 months, and it's an incredible success story at Real Chemistry, isn't it? Because 21 years of double-digit growth. I remember when I first started editing uh, PR Week, I think you you were around, it was W2O Group back then. I think it was, you were around 50, 60 million. Now you're the third biggest agency in the US and the sixth globally, 513 million in the US. So things have been going pretty well, sir, haven't they? Things have been going well, uh, yes, Steve. So, you know, this is a simple business at some level. You know, if you have great clients and you do great work with them, with great people, great things happen. Yeah. And that's what we continue to focus on is make sure we serve our clients really well and, and keep bringing new things to them that will help broaden our relationship you know make us more of a trusted partner to them and that's fueling the growth right when you when when clients like working with you they want to give you more work and that's what it is because our top 60 clients make up 85 90 percent of our revenue and that's where you know that's our growth engine right and all of the all of that growth comes from there so yeah, so you hit 18% growth in the US last year, 17% globally. You did think you were going to get to 20%, so you narrowly missed that, and you put that down to a bit of softness in biotech and VC markets. What's uh, the market looking like in 2023? Clearly, we've had a couple of years of uh, feast, and it's not famine in 2023, but it's certainly a little bit tighter generally. Um, tell us what, uh, what you're seeing in the market so far in the first six months and what you expect for the rest of the year. Yeah, look, we've had a pretty strong first half of the year um, and we're on track with our growth expectations for that. The market itself, you know, is is a, is a bit of a tale of two different halves, right? Uh, the biotech slowdown, which we started to see happen last year, we're starting to see things turn around, but it hasn't quite bounced back to the extent that we would like, right? So that continues to be an area of focus for us. How do we expand there? But I think in our big clients, you know, and I think this, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit um, to one of your other points about Q2. You know, when you look at earnings, most of our large clients, you know, our big pharma clients are seeing very strong Q2s, a lot of earnings beat and guidance raises for 23. So 
You're right. It's certainly not feast, but it's nowhere close to famine at all. You know, so it's pretty solid growth all around. And I think our AI offerings are are growing at a hundred percent a year, and and our communications and advertising businesses are also seeing solid growth as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously we had the extraordinary period of COVID for three years when pharma and healthcare was clearly booming. So you're against very strong comparables and there was bound to be some sort of a dip, but um, it's in, it's good to hear that things are coming back strong and that uh, the economy's persisting there. You've worked with, uh, worked at Cognizant, McKinsey, and you've worked with New Mountain, which is Real Chemistry's investment partner before in previous roles and, you, and you're working with them now. What do they bring to the table and what are they sort of asking you to do as CEO, you know, uh, in, in, in the first 18 months? And where do you think you've got to on that journey? Yeah. Look, what they bring to the table is consistent with what they always bring to the table in any of their investments. And it's usually three things. Uh, one is they, they are very strong strategic partners to me as a CEO, and we both work on what the roadmap for the business should be, right? So where do we want this business to be three years from now, five years from now, that strategic roadmap? Um, and they bring a very good, thoughtful perspective of the industry and the overall landscape and help shape that with me. So, so I, think, I think that's thing one. Thing two is really around M&A. And, and, and for, as you know from the real chemistry story over the last you know, seven years or so, ever since Jim brought external investment into the firm, you know, we've been prolific at doing really successful and, and high-quality acquisitions that really broaden our scope of capabilities and offerings, right? Back to my comments earlier about how we become trusted partners to our clients, it is by consistently adding in capability that's you know really high quality and, and, and market leading, and they've been our partner in doing that. You know we we have pretty you know close collaboration, and in identifying opportunities, you know executing on those opportunities and bringing those opportunities in and helping them grow at scale. And then the third area they've been really helpful to me as a partner is as a sounding board in terms of how we should continue to evolve the business and the organization. You know, we've made a number of organizational changes and, and brought in some new talent and new hires, both on the operational side as well as on the growth side. And they're constantly, you know, uh, challenging me, you know, partnering with me to help me think through how do we take this business to greater heights by bringing in exceptional talent everywhere else in the industry, right? So those are typically the three areas that they've partnered with me you know, a lot of the discussions that we have, um, you know, at our board meetings, you know, on our weekly calls, monthly calls with them is really around those areas. Um, you know, how do we continue to grow the business, right? It's a very growth focused firm, you know, and we're, we're obsessed with growth. How do we continue to add new capabilities, right? What, where do we go next? Is it medical affairs? Is it market access, right? What other, how do we continue to broaden and deepen that partnership with our clients? So those are essentially the, that's always the discussion with them, right? Like what's the path ahead? How do we grow? How do we add new capability? What can we do to help you as a management team, as an leadership team? So it's, it's a very good, you know, give and take in that regard. Yeah. It's interesting because you do play in areas that maybe a, a lot of other PR firms don't, you know, you do, you definitely do. And you broad, I guess you broaden the amount of things you do with your big clients by doing that. And you make some interesting acquisitions too. And we'll talk about that when we come into the AI part of the discussion. How do you ensure that when you're doing a bunch of acquisitions, which you've done over the years, that you manage to bring keep the, the keep the secret sauce, if you like, of each acquisition and and bring don't lose their the their great capabilities that you bought into, but 
in, integrate them into your existing team and, and get the best of both worlds. Is it, what's the secret to that? You've had loads of experience of that over the years. What would, what would your uh, top tips be? Great question. Look, I, I would say a couple things, right? First and foremost, at Real Chemistry, we've been very fortunate to retain the founding teams that those of those companies we acquired, right? Now, I've, I've seen both models, right? Like I was in a previous um, company at Equian with New Mountain as well. A lot of the founders didn't stay. But in Real Chemistry, we've been very fortunate, right? So, um, you know, whether you look at 21 Grams, which is on the creative agency side, Swoop on the technology side, um, you know, and a number of other examples where the founding teams have stayed with us, right? And when those founders stay with us, they retain their entrepreneurial spirit and they continue to drive the business like only founders can, right? There's no substitute for that. So I would say number one thing for us has been like being able to attract and excite and retain these founders and continue to get them excited about being a part of this team. And I think the reason we've been able to keep them excited and, and, and motivated is because with few exceptions, Steve, by and large, when the, the growth trajectory of these companies has accelerated in the new, in the real chemistry forward, right? So if you just do the simple before and after, like what was this business doing in terms of its growth before? What's it doing after? The curve looks very different, right? And it's always you know positive and, and faster. And that's what gets people excited, right? When you come into a business and you see that with all of the clients we have and all of the other capabilities we have, you can take your own business and grow it faster. That gets a founder excited, right? Entrepreneurs are growth animals, right? And when you show them a path to faster growth, that gets them excited. And that in turn has been what allow, has what has allowed us to retain and excite these founders and, and keep growing these businesses. So I think that's what it comes down to, right? Is again, if you focus on the on the growth aspect you know, and you can get these founders excited, you know, great things happen. And, and that's essentially what's happened with us. Yeah. And then the third thing I'd say is, look, we, we've also been very purposeful and deliberate about making sure that when we go to our clients, and you touched on this briefly, right? Like we're a little bit different in that, you know, we're not just doing one thing anymore. And so how do you bring this together thoughtfully at the client, you know, where the client sees the value, but also doesn't feel like you're like overselling them, if you know what I mean? So, you know, getting that client orchestration right and having someone like a Jennifer Gottlieb for us, you know, be that orchestrator of our all, all of our client partners with all of her years of wisdom and experience, you know, in, in interacting and, and, and serving a lot of our clients, that's also been a crucial element, right? Because the way we bring this to our clients, the way we sit down with our clients and talk about these offerings is at the core of what also drives that success. Yeah. Um in terms of pitches this year, one of the biggest pitches of the year was Pfizer. They have a new CMO who wants to roll things up into public, came out of that very well. They're a big client of yours. How did you come out of that? Was that, uh, and how do you play in pitches against the holding companies, given that you're, you know, you're not part of a holding company? But um, how do you approach pitches like that, and how did you come out of the Pfizer pitch? Yeah, so look, I think when we think about the, the, the consolidation phenomenon, Steve, as you know, come you know, comes in sort of way in cycles, right? I would say, look, we're as I look at the overall uh, market right now, there have been, you know, three, maybe four going on right now. You know, we're probably batting, you know, seven fifty, right? Meaning in three of those four pitches, we're got, gonna come out pretty strong. And I think what what is allowing us to 
come through and do well in these pitches uh, is really two or three things, right? First of all, it's the relationship, right? You, you, there's no substitute for doing great work, right? You've got to be, you've got to have a demonstrated track record of great work that you've done on these clients, right? I think that's like ticket to play. And on top of that, if you can show, show them that the capabilities that they need to move the business forward are what you're able to bring. And in this case, for us, it's a lot of our AI, it's a lot of our insights. And coupling that with a lot of our creative thinking and communication power, we've been able to demonstrate that, right? So, so there have been situations, Steve, where we've held our own against, uh, you know, some of the large networks and we were sort of, you know, coming out right on par with them. You know, in some other cases, we haven't, right? And Pfizer is one of those cases where, you know, they've chosen to go in a different direction. You know, they were very clear from the outset that they only wanted one partner for all of their strategy and creative and all of that, and then one partner for the media. You know, my own personal belief is that's that's um, a very unusual archetype. You know, most people tend to prefer a slightly broader network of maybe three, four, five partners. So in that specific instance, you know, it's pretty well documented now that IPG and publicists are the partners that they've chosen. You know, but but look, for us, we we don't see this as like the door is firmly shut, right? Because I think back to the earlier commentary about the breadth of capabilities we have, even though one specific door in this case has been closed, there are a number of other doors that have opened, right? So for example, you know, and this is a reasonably well-known fact that Pfizer for the longest time has not used certain methodologies and technologies available for data-driven targeting of HCPs and patients, right? And so we're starting to open some of those conversations with them and and have, have an opportunity to serve them. So I think, look, long-term, you know, we all know how important Pfizer is as a company in this industry. You know, they are the number one industry company in the industry. They continue to have pretty bold aspirations, you know, of, of growing through M&A as well as organically. And I feel ultimately extremely confident that we will continue to have a very long and fruitful relationship with them as a client, right? But overall, you know, I think we feel very good about how we're positioned in all of these mega consolidations relative to a lot of the, you know, so-called larger holding companies. Yeah, I mean, and, and we've all seen over the years that I think the average tenure of a CMO is less than three years, isn't it? So you see CMOs come and go, things change. Walgreens, I think that that was business was pitched three times in about four years. And um, I guess uh, that's just the nature of modern business, isn't it? So uh, just finally then, are you because you've got such a broad level of services, who, who is the client you're generally pitching to? Or is it, is it lots of different people? It might be the CCO on some, CMO. It might be the you know, other parts of the business. What, how's, what are the trends you're seeing there? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think, I think it's pretty, it continues to broaden, right? I think the CCO the head of public affairs, and in some of our biotech clients, the CEO and the head of investor relations, you know, that's been our core stakeholder base and franchise, as you know, Steve, for, for many, many years. And we continue to focus on those clients and serve them to the best of our abilities and keep continuing to bring new innovations and capabilities to them, right? But I think equally, the CMO, the marketing and advertising teams, the medical education team, increasingly medical affairs, right? Because I think one of the things that we're seeing in the marketplace, Steve, is when you look at the HCP or the, the physician in the marketplace, right? We're hearing them say loud and clear to their to our our clients, the pharma companies, you know, their, um, their counterparts, you know, to saying, look, we need less and less of the traditional sales rep model, right? 
give us that information in easily digestible forms, like on our websites and our mobile phones, what have you. But then invest more in your medical teams, because when we need a medical dialogue with a peer or you know someone like that, you know we can we can reach out. So I think we're seeing growth in medical affairs, right? So we're engaging a lot with chief medical officers and and people of that ilk as well. And then last but not least, right? You know, as you know, with with all of the data and AI coming on stream, right? Pharma continues to grow. You know, their footprint and their own capabilities and resources in areas like omni-channel and you know, data and insights and analytics. And so a lot of our data and AI capabilities, you know, that's the audience, right? It's the, it could be the CIO, it could be the chief technology officer, it could be the head of a COE for all things digital and omni-channel. So it's it's a pretty broad, and we continue to broaden that set of stakeholders that we're continuing to talk to, you know, across the board. Yeah, it's interesting times. And uh, we're seeing the structures inside companies change. I think it's a good thing because comms and, the services that you provide are much more important and much more high up the food chain. So I think it's, it is positive generally, but it is, it is leading them to change their structures too. So yeah, interesting stuff, Shankar. And we'll get your insights on some of the stories, especially as one of them is about real chemistry. So uh, good to chat. Frank, over to you. Dave Sampson, great uh, stalwart of the PR industry over the last 43 years, regular on the power list. He's spent the last three years at Edelman, but he's retiring. Yes, uh, he is retiring after a 43-year career, 16 years at Chevron, and he's been at Edelman since 2020. 43-year career in PR, he's been at Levi Strauss, IBM, Oracle, and Ketchum. And do you think Dave is actually going to hang him up? Well, um, I think it's a, it's an issue about these top jobs are very... Um, pressured and you spend right. a lot of time away from your family and, and when I spoke to him he was very much talking about spending more time especially with his daughter and his wife who've you know been so supportive of him in the career but you know you you do sacrifice a lot and he you know for example for Edelman he spent five months in Asia mm-hmm. he was a bit of a sort of you know uh, I don't know Red Adair we used to call someone who goes in and, and sorts something out for a few months and he did that in Asia but obviously he's away from his family and you know he's uh, he's um, he's, a, he's a young looking fella and uh, he's looking good but he is in his 60s you know so. we were remarking about that around yeah. the news desk the other day that it seems like he's had the same headshot for forever <laughs> yeah. and he hasn't but he he, well, he hasn't aged a bit well it's so not just the headshot when you meet him in person he doesn't look much different yeah. so you know I think he just wants to good do genes. that <laughs> yeah good genes for sure um, and I think He's he's had a great time at Edelman. He's re- great respect for Richard Edelman and Lisa Osborne Ross. And will that be the end of Dave in the industry? I doubt it. I've, honestly, I've been told he has a tremendous car collection. As he well. he does uh, he he does like a, a, a nice sports car. But yeah. Um, so I think he'll spend time with the family, and but he's still going to do some off council work on PepsiCo. I think it is, and I, I would imagine in a year or two he'll he'll probably do some other you know, consultancy gigs. But, um, you know, respect to Dave on a great career. And actually, Mm. we're going to have him on the podcasts soon. So we'll be able to chat in a lot more detail to him. But uh, uh, someone who is a mentor to so many people in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you could see by the reactions on social of people he worked with over the years at at, uh, different uh, companies and and agencies. He was at Ketchum way back in the day. So. Mm Good luck, Dave, with the uh, slightly quieter life. He's still working there till 
the start of September. So I'm sure Richard Edelman will get uh, get get a few more weeks' work out of him. Um, yeah, next story: Real Chemistry has hired Steve Beam from Edelman. So Frank, talk us through that, and then yeah. we'll get Shanker's take on it. Should say congrats to you, Shanker, on this. This is a bit of a surprise hire Thank to you. us, and uh, Steve Beam coming over from Edelman to be global crisis communications and corporate reputation practice leader. Now a lot happening with this story. He's going to report up to Emily Poe, who is the group president of Integrated Comms at Real Chemistry. But uh, Steve is going to be responsible for building out a dedicated crisis and corporate reputation practice, uh, working with clients on issue preparedness uh, and mitigation. And this is also happening uh, as the um, the network rolls out Real Reputation, which is an analytics product that uses AI to help clients measure their reputation and the factors that influence it. Uh, he had been at Edelman for 18 years, most recently serving as chair of U.S. crisis, risk, and reputation. Um, and Real Chemistry has appointed Brian Shugum as its global social impact practice leader. Uh, he started in the role on July 24 in the London office of Real Chemistry. Yeah, Shanker, that's a pretty eye-catching hire to get someone of Steve Beam's quality out of the biggest PR firm in the world. First of all, tell us about that, and then uh, what you want him to build at uh, Real Chemistry. Yeah, thank you. Look, we're incredibly excited to have Steve on board. You know, he is a powerhouse in the industry, as you guys know well. You know, his name uh, carries a lot of weight. And look, we've known and admired Steve for, for many years. Uh, he has, in fact, done some work with our, our financial sponsors, New Mountain, as well in the past. And so they'd also, you know, cross paths with him, worked with him, had a high view, uh, you know, high, a lot of regard for him, right? So I think, look, for him, um, it, it comes down to, you know, healthcare was a bit of a personal passion point for him, right? So I think the the draw of being able to work in healthcare and the purpose-driven nature of the work we do here and the mission-driven nature of the work we do here, I think was a big draw for him, right? And I think it, it you know, so that was a part of it. I think just look, joining a team that is growing aggressively, it's making all of these interesting investments and is building out teams, you know, that can really, in, you know, so that that's a big part of it. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's about building this practice, right? So again, it's an opportunity to build this practice and really make this, you know, his own thing, right? And, and really grow it in, in a way that only he can do. So I think all of those are, um, you know, things that really drew um, Steve. And look, we, we are excited to have him. He is, you know, he's already shown that he can start having conversations with clients on day one. And look, from a market perspective, what drove us to this was also a couple things, if, if, if not more, right? First of all, with the IRA, right, I think it is driving a lot more discussions with our clients around what, how do you deal with the IRA? What does it mean? You know, there's a reputational angle to this, but there's also a little bit of a crisis angle to this as well, right? Because when you start making pipeline decisions around the IRA, you know, that has implications, you know, the biotechs, you know, we serve a number of the leading biotechs. And as we talked earlier in the in the show, the the slowdown, you know, the challenges that they've had with like clinical data or otherwise, you know, that's a, that's a market which has been calling on us to help them with, the, with these kinds of opportunities. So I think, you know, the market, the market demand is clearly there. You know, Steve is, you know, undoubtedly the leading light in this area. He was excited about joining a team that is sort of so mission driven and it's just, 
in a, in is you know to be very polite like winning in the marketplace right so i think it's sort of a lot of things came together and and just could not be more excited about having steve you know come on board yeah congratulations great hi so uh, yeah we look forward to seeing how steve does frank the supreme court's decision on affirmative action has been top of headlines jess ruderman did a nice piece analysis piece last week about it and we were just kind of looking into how it's going to impact PR firms. So talk us through the top findings of that. It's a very interesting reaction by agencies, especially because while this is a, it's a historic decision and it's a landmark decision, uh, it really hasn't changed the strategy for a lot of agencies in terms of how they recruit uh, from colleges, uh, in terms of diversifying their workforces. Um, and, and they say they are all sticking with their commitments and even shifting them into a higher gear uh, because of this decision. Now, th- there's some interesting commentary in, in this piece in that um, Kim Hunter, who l- runs LeGrant, which, by the way, is also in his 25th year this year, which is like PR week, Um, you know, he pointed out uh, in no uncertain terms that agencies are good at hiring uh, people from diverse backgrounds uh, at the lower and entry levels, but they're bad at training them and they're bad at retaining them. Um, And he would like to see them step up in those ways as well. So um, it's good to see that that agencies stay committed to this issue, Um, but you know, I think there's there's pretty much universal agreement out there that that everyone has to do a bit better. Yeah, what's your take on it, Shankar? Um, it's noticeable when we did our agency business report that you know if you look at the picture of the top twenty CEOs in the agency sector, it's in terms of gender, it's getting much better, but not so much in terms of ethnic diversity. You're one of the few diverse leaders there with Doug Thornell at uh, SKDK who was on the show couple of weeks ago. Um, what's your take on that? Yeah, look, I mean, the, the decision is the decision, right? I mean, I, our belief is, look, um, there is no doubt that a college education remains a true and tried and trusted way for people to get out of poverty, right? And really escape into the middle class and, and better job opportunities and Across the board, and, and especially so in, in healthcare and PR, you know, kind of which is the intersection of where we are, right? So, so we remain committed to this. You know, we we think, as Frank said it well, like you, you know, we all have to do better. We as real chemistry have to do a lot better. And this, I might be the first to raise my hand on that. You know, and we're we're doing our best in this regard, right? So, for example, you know, this year, we, you know, we have a pretty robust summer intern program. And this year, for example, 43% of our summer interns are diverse, right? And so, and we've made a special, and, and it's not because we we went out and said like, this has to be a criteria, right? But we actually reached into, you know, the right talent pools to, to source talent. So it's less about, you know, changing your standards or, or, or changing the bar, if you will, but really tapping into more diverse pools of talent, uh, you know, so looking at Harvard, looking at Hampton, looking at XULA and, and other such HPCUs in a very systematic and programmatic way. So I think that's a big part of it. I think continuing to develop them over time, you know, is something that we're working on a lot. You know, we we think that, uh, you know, we, we have an opportunity to, you know, build long-term careers for many of them, you know, in, in a in an intentional way, in a purposeful way. And that's that's what we're focused on, right? So 
but long way to go. You know, we have we are uh, we're probably just in the second or third inning of this. Yeah, I think that's Kim Hunter's point, isn't it? That it's yes, interns, that's great, and the you know the the funnel has got to be uh, diverse. But then it's providing careers, providing uh, pathways up, providing a, a culture and an environment where diverse uh, workers feel comfortable and, and feel they've got opportunities. That's the challenge, and then then it takes then. Then it, it, it's a process that, that filters all the way to the top, but uh, yeah, it's it, it's going slower than uh, everybody would like. Yeah, for sure. and, and a big part of it is, I think you know, I think a lot of people tend to focus on the diversity side, right, and not enough on the inclusion side. Because I think, to your point, you know, you can attract diverse people, but if you want them to be successful and have long careers, you know, you need to make them feel included, right, and so. So that's one thing we really focus on. And, and one of the things that makes me really proud is, you know, we just finished our people engagement survey. We do that every six months at Real Chemistry. And one of the questions we ask people is very simply, do you feel included at Real Chemistry, right? And I think what we found is something like 84 or 85% of the people said yes, right? And when you look at our diverse population of employees and associates, that number was equally high, right? So that's one thing that we know we can focus on is to make sure through our business resource groups and other resources and, and through the training and learning opportunities, we want to make sure people feel included. Because I think when they feel included, they're able to contribute more and, you know, and it sort of becomes a positive, you know, spiral from that point on. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, Frank, wouldn't be a podcast without chatting about AI. Two yeah. other agencies launched uh, offerings this week, Ruder Finn and JPA Health. And both with very creative names. And that Ruder Finn's is called RF Studio 53. And um, as was pointed out, not a reference to the uh, legendary Manhattan nightclub, but to their address on 53rd Street. Uh, in Manhattan. Uh, Did you ever hang out there, Frank? No, I think that was before my time. What about uh, podcast producer Bill? I can see you at Studio 54. I definitely would have. <laughs> if I was around, that, definitely. All right, Frank, let's get back to AI. Right. Um, so what they're doing here is they are taking staff from their creative teams and also from uh, some of the other firms they have acquired, like Osmosis and SPI, uh, over the past few years, and really bringing them together in this group and really boosting it with AI. Uh, they say it's going to be a global group uh, drawing from – uh, their teams around the world and, um, you know, looking to see how they can boost the creative work uh, through artificial intelligence. JPA Health um, has one called Gretel Tales, which is is named after the Hansel and Gretel uh, fairy tale, as you might have guessed. Um, and, yeah, this is also uh, going to provide unique assistance to clients in the healthcare space and going to help the agency, they say, be more targeted to specific audiences and develop messages more effectively and faster. And they stress that it makes the staff more valuable. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of concerns out there about how AI is going to affect um, – jobs and i think especially entry-level jobs too. yeah for sure um shanka you, you made a, a, a noteworthy acquisition earlier this year of an ai firm i was struck by something you said in our agency business report that you've got to find those things that are really genuinely helpful to people because there's so much noise about ai and so much frankly generalization being spoken so talk to us a little bit about the concrete i think you it's fair to say you were fairly fairly early into the game in ai what are the real applications where it's helping? Yeah, great question. So look, as you point out, you know, we've been at the AI game in healthcare, 
uh, if I can use that phrase, for, for over 10 years, right? Because if you look at some of the businesses that are now part of real chemistry, you know, Soup is a great example of that. Like they've been leaders in the use of AI and machine learning, you know, and healthcare data for, for well over 10 years that they've been in existence, right? So in fact, so I think that's the starting point for us, Steve, is we have a team of people led by Sim Simeonov, our chief technology officer, you know, who are really deep, deep experts in AI. And, and I would submit to you that when it comes to AI and healthcare, like we have a team that is on par with anybody else in the industry, right? It's probably the best in the industry. So I think that's an important starting point because you know, we're going to talk about the soccer world. Hey, you should in go into bit, PR, right? Shankar. <laughs> you know the, the soccer world cup the soccer world cup you know we're going to talk about right it's yeah. you know you can play and i think ai is a little bit like soccer right and and i don't mean to belittle any of our other firms that we're talking about here but you can put 11 people on the field give them a soccer ball and they'll play soccer right because they'll kick up kick the ball around somebody will score a goal but, you know, there's a difference between watching that and there's a difference between watching one, a Prem team, right? I mean, if you're going and watching a, a derby in North London or, or in Manchester, you know, it's just a different quality, right? And you that's, finally I got there. The up, to, up to Manchester. Thank you. Finally got there. Yeah. The red half, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm on the blue side, by I, the way. So. I know, I know, I know. Um, we'll have to work but, on that. But, but look, it's... <laughs> That's that's what it is. And so you need to have the talent needs to be top notch and it's not easy to attract that kind of talent. Right. Um, and then you need to really make sure that you're giving everybody in the organization the tools to be successful. So a lot of our focus has been coming to the second part of your question on what specifically. So here are a few examples of what we're working on. Right. So one of the things that we've been able to put in place, Steve, is, is something that we call RC workspace, which simply stands for real chemistry workspace. So we have focused less on creative branding. You know, I wish we had called it like Hansel Tales or something, but we're not. We just want to give our people great tools to work with. Touche. Right. And what RC RC workspace is a is a specific workspace that every one of the associates at Real Chemistry can use to tap into the large language model capabilities. Right. So, so that's one specific thing. So for example, right, I'll give you a real example. One of our colleagues the other day was was doing a summarization of over 150 pages of insights from various interviews and dinners and this and that, from HCPs and patients, right? And he was able to use RC Workspace to take that 150-page output and just summarize it down and say, look, give me the five most important things that I need to be sharing with my, you know, chief communications client, Right. And and we and, and we got the output coming out of that, right? So that's a great example of something where so we're focused on giving people the tools that will help them do their work better, faster, and in turn do more, right? We're not focused on the cheaper aspect at all. Another great example is, you know, using some of these data insights we have to get smart about a new disease or a new product area, for example, right? So when we're going in for pitching, we talked about pitching earlier. You know, pitch teams are under the gun all the time, right? Because they have 72 hours in some cases or 96 hours or whatever to get smart, come up with some great ideas and get out there in front of the client, right? And so one of the things that RC Workspace does is it gives those pitch teams in the, in the most summarized, condensed form, everything that they need to know about the product, the disease area, 
the client, right, in, in sort of digestible form so that they can take that and just run with it and go straight into pitch preparation and pitch development, right? It sort of shortens that whole cycle of getting smart about the product and the client and the business, you know, significantly. So, and again, look, we, we have an internal um, running contest that we call A-Ideas. You know, it's not a very clever name, but it's like, you know, if you go back to our mission, you know, we, we redid our mission last year, as you may know, to use AI and ideas to transform healthcare from what it is to what it should be. And so it really is that AI ideas thing, right? And it's about giving people the tools and asking them to come up with ways in which they think all of these tools could be applied to make their life easier. So our belief is it's less top down, right? It's much more give the people the tools, give them the ways of working with these tools and great things will happen when you, when you get people inspired about trying new things and, and trying different ways of working. So it's, it's very much a bottoms up, you know, democratizing AI is what we call it within real chemistry. And that's been a big focus for us in terms of how we're approaching this. Yeah, and then facilitating the higher value work. So, yeah, it's an uh, interesting mm-hmm. perspective and uh, good to hear. And lots more to come and we'll cover that. We'll be covering that over the next 12 to 18 months for sure. And, and we'll concentrate on the real stuff that's coming out. Frank, just very quickly, loads of big Q2 uh, results coming out. Any trends or anything that you noticed uh, from the companies that have reported so far? Lots of bellwethers reporting this week. And I think it's fair to say that most of them have beat their expectations, at least in terms of the bottom line. And some have had some really good quarters. So, of course, the bellwether uh, car and truck maker Ford uh, raised their full year guidance after a very uh, solid reporting period. But uh, we should point out with them, one one of the things they saw was that the adoption of electric vehicles is taking place more slowly uh, than they expected because of higher costs for the vehicles. Um, and that's a really interesting thing to follow when you look at the emphasis that Ford has put on it, GM has put on it. We've talked a lot about that in terms of the, the communications lead switch at GM. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on in quarters going forward. Um, Kraft Heinz, uh, you see them, their, their shares were hurt after they reported uh, their net sales, which which missed expectations. And a lot of that was due to inflationary pricing. So uh, you see that inflation, while it has dropped recently, um, you know, continued to really weigh on the Q2 period. Pfizer has a really interesting earnings report out. Um, in that they they beat expectations, though their revenue came in under estimates. And so how they beat expectation was they cut a lot of costs. Now, uh, why is their revenue in under estimate, uh, under analyst estimates? It's because uh, there's a huge drop in the number of people getting uh, COVID-related shots in treatments. Um, so, you know, we continue yeah. to watch those numbers that as happens, well. So. You know, we'll we'll see what happens with that going forward. Yeah, that was inevitable, wasn't it? I think and, so. Uh, interesting what you said about Ford, because those uh, GM and Ford's targets on EVs is so aggressive. You got to, they're, they're going to have to really go some to hit those, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, CVS speed on both top and bottom line. Again, though, a company cutting a lot of costs to get there. So um, again, some big, big companies reporting this week. Yum Brands beat their expectations. CVS Health beat estimates, though they just uh, cut 5,000 jobs. But I think the big economic news this morning was the the Fitch rating downgrade uh, mm. of the U.S. credit. Uh, and it's interesting because they didn't cite economic concerns as much as they did political and other uh, issues of division, continuity of government, quality of governance, 
uh, and those sorts of issues as they cut that. So you're seeing the the political upheaval of the past couple of years starting to to have an impact on that as well. Yeah, and there were also some reflections from drinks brands and uh, the CPG brands about the sort of marketing snafus. And uh, it was interesting to hear the Heineken CEO saying, you know, you've got to stick by your your values and uh, keep pushing the things you believe in and yeah. be authentic. And we're eagerly anticipating the Anheuser-Busch InBev earnings that yeah. are tomorrow. And we'll see what their leadership has to say about this on the call um, and whether they – Really, just what they have to say about it, what the tone is, mm. uh, whether they're apologetic at all, what initiatives they have to make up for the um, the huge cuts in Bud Light and drinkership. Sales, yeah. yeah, Shankar, very quickly, any any top trends from your sectors that you that you've noticed in the Q twos? Yeah, and I think look, I think Frank hit the, hit the nail on the head, right? I think in our clients, um, companies that were does. more more <laughs> dependent on the COVID COVID phenomenon. You know, have definitely seen a slowdown in that franchise, right? So Pfizer, Bark, you know, even Thermo Fisher to some extent, even though they're not a biopharma, you know. But but at the, on the same time, you know, your the the strength in oncology, even the strength in some of these products where there's apparent biosimilar competition, is it's been pretty surprising to us, right? And so you know, many of the big pharma more more have actually beat and raised guidance, you know, than is normal, and so. And you look at the sentiment again, when you look at sentiment analysis, and that's something we look at, right? The the biopharma sentiment index that we look at is up almost 20%, uh, which, which I think, again, signals there's a good amount of healthy optimism in terms of what the second half of the year could bring in terms of our client base that we're talking to, right? So, and so that's exciting for us, you know? So it's a you know, the markets are up, the, the overall index is up. And so it's, it's, it's generally good news, I think. Yeah, no, definitely good to hear. Let's finish on the Soccer World Cup. Frank, the U.S. team is through to the uh, out of the group stage. But barely. Um, but barely, yeah. And that, the, there's an impact there on the, the nation, but also on marketers. Yeah, it? it's so many, so many big brands throw so much money at the Women's World Cup. And um, I, I haven't seen any reports yet estimating what a dollar value, you know, uh, impact it would be. If the U.S. team went out before the semifinals or even the quarterfinals and they have very tough competition on Sunday with the Swedish team, we shall see what happens. But they have uh, they have not looked that great so far and barely slipped by Portugal into the knockout rounds uh, Monday to Tuesday overnight. Yeah, but listen, as a veteran of World Cup watching for more years than I care to remember and and failing usually as an England fan, but... You know, you don't win anything for getting out for how you play in the group, right? It's a it's a long tournament, and as long as you get out of the group and you're in the next stage, and you know, uh, and you're still in it, you can improve. So. Well, and uh, though I, I I would say that uh, Carly Lloyd, the um, the soccer legend for the U.S., is, has been highly critical of the way the teams played and really their attitude going into it, and I think that raised a lot of red flags. And um, the star midfielder Rose Lavelle cannot play. Mm. on Sunday because she's had two yellow cards, which I think is a little bit of a uh, two yellow cards and then you're out of game is a little harsh in my opinion. Yeah, that, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Paul Gascoigne missed the... Uh, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, that's England quietly jogging right. along, doing rather well, actually. But uh, again, you don't win anything in the group stage. Shankar, have you been following this tournament? 
A little bit, you know, the, the, uh, I'm not going to get up at 3 a.m. to watch the U.S.-Portugal game. That, that is a problem, isn't it? <laughs> that is a problem. It is a bit of a problem, right? I did see the opening game. I thought a 3-0 result against Vietnam was like, you know, come on, they should have done better than that. Because didn't they win their opening game last time? Like 13-0 or yeah, something? Yeah, it was... Or, uh, they, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and Vietnam. So anyway, that that to me was that to me was a bit of a warning sign, right? Like you know, you should be beating Vietnam by more than three zero. But having said that, look, I, I, you know, this is a pretty gritty team. You know, they have a lot of experienced people. Yeah. Um, so you know, and, and and to your point, Steve earlier, the as you get out of the group stage and into the knockout rounds, like experience does matter. And you know, just you know, game management, knowing how to sort of you know play these games, the big games, right? You know, and that's what I'm hoping will happen, right? That the experience of this team comes through and like, and I think things like what Carly's saying, you know, hopefully that serves as a, as a swift kick in the pants for these players <laughs> and, you know, they kind of step it up on the bigger stage here. So I'm, I'm rooting for them, right? I think, look, as you know well from, you know, at least on the men's World Cup side, there's nobody has ever won this three times in a row, right? Brazil did it two times in a row and that's the best that's happened on the men's side. Now, so repeating three times is not easy, right? So it, it is, they're up against something that has never been done before, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So it is hard, right? And when it, you know, to achieve something like that is, it's going to take a little extra something special. So I, I, you know, I'm hoping they can pull it off, but we'll see. Yeah, I think it's more competitive. I think the other teams, uh, the other countries are catching up a bit, but don't rule them out. Japan, Japan yeah. has been pretty, mm. I've been astounded by how well Japan has played. Yeah. Like they thrashed Spain like 4-0 or something. Which yeah. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, no, don't rule them yeah. out. I, I still think they've got a chance. Um, You're not optimistic about England though? I, I've, I think England's got a great team and we won the European Championships. They lost two of their best players before the tournament through injury mm. and they've lost another of their best players through injury, but then they did win very handily 6-1 against China. So we'll see. You know, they've got a chance, definitely. But uh, England is in World Cups. You know, we've all seen that play out over the years. Yeah, we? So, they don't, they don't uh, go to penalties for, for their sake. Um, is it coming home? Uh, <laughs> That was one of the can winning uh, campaigns. Actually, it's quite funny because the chair of jury was Scottish, and she liked the she loved the campaign in spite of the fact that it was for England. So, um, <laughs> I've been concentrating on the cricket, Shankar, um, for the last few weeks with England, Australia, and the Ashes. That strange game where you play for five days and it ends in a draw, which is why it will never take off in America. But that is finally over. So, I will maybe turn a bit more attention to the World Cup. Um, I know. And yeah, I've been following that too. It's been a great series. Yeah, yeah, it was really, a great series. Really, yeah. really was. It was terrific. Shankar, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, continued success. Thank you, guys. This Real is a Chemistry. lot of fun. I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. no worries. And Thanks don't so forget, much. our Best Places to Work has launched for expressions of interest. You have to register uh, to take part in that, and then we send out the survey to your staffers. So uh, make sure you do that. I think you've got um, a few more days to do that. It's the 25th anniversary of the PR Week Awards in uh, March 2024, following the, our 25th anniversary this year of the whole brand. So that's open for entry. So you've got until September, but that will come around quickly. Make sure you're working on that. Our big conference is in Chicago, PR Decoded, on the 11th and 12th of October and we'll have the Purpose Awards on the first night on the 11th we'll announce the finalists I think on the 16th of August and our 40 Under 40 
event, one of my favorite nights of the year. That will be on the 26th of October in New York City. So uh, make sure you get your tickets for that. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. <laughs>